is WFG Insights, your download on the real estate market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending, keeping you informed and ahead of the market. In this episode, WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone is back with us to discuss five factors influencing the housing market. Pat, thanks again for taking time out to join us. Boy, it's an interesting time here. As we record this on July 13th, we received the inflation numbers today uh, running at 40 plus year highs at 9.1% on that headline number. What's your read on inflation right now? And there seems to be two camps that this will stick with us for quite some time or dare I say transitory that this will abate maybe in the fall. Which camp are you in? Well, let me dig into it a little bit to give you some perspective. Uh, what is causing the increase in inflation and why inflation is so high is imputed rent. And imputed rent is a mechanism whereby uh, the calibration is, uh, the, the calculation around inflation is arrived at by using uh, a, a estimate of what rent would cost based on the cost of a home. So in other words, they, they calculate actual rent increases, but then they also do imputed rent for home ownership. Well, what imputed rent right now is reflecting is a tremendous increase in home values that occurred earlier this year. It runs about six months in arrears. So we are right now paying for, the, uh, paying for in terms of inflation numbers, the tremendous run up in home prices earlier this year. So if you calculate six months from now, home prices have stabilized and are, are uh, you know, basically flat. Six months from now, the imputed rent will be flat and the impact on inflation will, will go away. So we've seen tremendous decreases in the inflationary effect of people buying goods versus services. That's abating dramatically. We've seen improvement in the supply chain, so that's that's helped. But the imputed rent uh, has uh, is about 32% of the CPI calculation. So we're paying for that right now. We're paying for the tremendous run-up in home prices earlier this year in terms of inflation impact. So. One man's opinion, uh, if something else doesn't occur, I mean, as long as something else doesn't occur, this has a dramatic impact on inflation. We'll see inflation start to trend down meaningfully by the end of the year. Uh, again, because we no longer have the disproportionate amount of money being spent on goods, and we no longer have the tremendous supply chain uh, congestion that we had. Now, having said all that, uh, this is a, a period of incredible uncertainty. The Ukraine war, the pandemic seems to be re-emerging. There are a lot of issues that cause a tremendous amount of uncertainty and very low consumer sentiment because of that. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, the next quarter or so, really, through the end of the year is going to be a real tough go for a lot of people. Uh, I saw a Bank of America report that said, essentially, it's going to take a severe recession uh, to tame inflation, obviously no. we hope it's not severe. No. <laughs> uh, what, what take maybe take the temperature on that? Where where are we going with that? No, no, that's that's no, uh, that's incorrect. Uh, inflation is being caused by uh, the the tremendous amount of uncertainty and dislocation caused to the economy by the pandemic, 
and then amplified by the Ukraine war. So uh, it will not require a tremendous recession to correct it. Uh, do I think we'll have a recession? I think the odds are very, very high that we're going to have a modest or moderate recession uh, later this year and early next year. Uh, that will be a byproduct of, uh, of having raised rates significantly, which the Fed is going to do. You know, the Fed is, uh, the Fed is very concerned about uh, not reacting in an adequate manner. And they're going back to the experience in the 1970s where the Fed <clears throat> would raise rates. And then as soon as inflation started to level off, they would lower the rates. And then inflation would go back up. So they raised the rates. And then when it started to level off, they lowered the rates. The Volcker initiative that killed inflation was raising the rates and keeping them high until inflation went down significantly. So do we have a lesson there that is uh, firmly imprinted in everybody's mind? Yes. And the Fed will raise rates until inflation goes away. But I don't think we're going to have a tremendous recession because candidly, this uh, situation is not being caused by uh, problems in the economy. Uh, it is uh, people have money, corporations have money. So I don't think you're going to see a tremendous recession. This situation we're in today, a result of the pandemic and then amplified by the Ukraine war. So we boil it down in this episode to five factors that influence the housing market. There's probably more than that. But uh, to roll right into that, since we're talking about inflation and the Fed hikes obviously are not directly tied to the 10 year Treasury or mortgage-backed securities, but still they have an impact on rates. And uh, I want you to maybe talk about mortgage interest rates, which obviously are uh, much higher than they were a year ago. Where does it go from here? It sounds to me like what you're saying is maybe we don't continue to see mortgage interest rates climbing here. In fact, maybe they stabilize. What's your forecast? Well, here's here's an interesting thing that happened. Last week, mortgage rates started trending back down. And the reason they did that is because the relationship between mortgage rates and the 10-year T-bill historically has been one and a half to two percent. A 30-year fixed rate mortgage is typically one and a half to two percent above the T-bill. It got way out of out of whack uh, because of the pandemic, because of supply chain, inflation, Ukraine war and all that. And it was running significantly higher than that. It started to correct last week. Mortgage rates got back down to 5.3 and it seemed like it was dropping back into the, it could get back to the 2% above T-bill. That changed dramatically with the the new inflation report and mortgage rates popped up back up to 5.69 this morning. So um, mortgage rates are gonna probably stay above that rate, that one and a half to 2% rate until the Ukraine war is over or until we have more certitude. There's just too much uncertainty in the market right now. Will they go up dramatically from here? I don't think so. Um, I'll be surprised if they get up to 6%, even with the Fed popping another 0.75 to 1%. Uh, So I'm not overly concerned about mortgage rates going through the roof. You know, housing affordability now is about right where it was from uh, 1987 to 1993. So it isn't as affordable as it was the last 10 years, Um, but I don't think it'll get too far out of whack from here. You know, the one thing we always talked about when I was in the mortgage industry was, you know, interest rates will fluctuate as they do, as they have over the past six months. But if people have jobs, 
and they have job certainty and income certainty. They will buy homes. You saw this in the late 70s and the early 80s when interest rates were double digits. How many people bought homes? It didn't stop people from buying homes. So there's always that mental adjustment, I think, from, you know, obviously three to five or six or whatever it is. And to the point here of the job market with 372,000 jobs uh, created, numbers were revised down a bit from previous months. The forecast here was for 250 to 290, and we popped 372. So, I mean, the one bright spot here is the job market, but is this a result of the fact that people are now kind of having to go back to work because of inflation? What's, what, what's the read on the job market? Well, this is really interesting. You know, we had what we were calling the great resignation. And uh, so they've done some studies now on all the people that quit their job. And a lot of people quit their job way proportionally, way more than we've ever seen before. About 25% of them are now regretting having quit their job. So uh, people are getting a little bit more realistic about having to work and about, uh, about needing to work. I do think that we are going to see the job market stay strong. Uh, People are getting a little bit more concerned about their financial wherewithal given inflation and given the uncertainty. The biggest issue right now, Brian, is uncertainty. We have never seen, or at least in my lifetime, have very rarely seen anything like we are currently experiencing. We have this pandemic that won't go away. We have the Ukraine war, which is creating a lot of background uncertainty. The Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index is at an all-time low because the uncertainty has been prolonged. You can't be sitting out, uh, out wondering if the sun's going to shine or if it's going to rain uh, forever without getting a little a little concerned. And and that's where we are. We've had prolonged uncertainty now for, what is it? It's uh, about two and a half years. Uh, and that really is causing a lot of concern for people. And uh, that uncertainty breeds a lot of you know, it, it, it stymies behavior. It uh, People don't want to run out and do anything because they're not sure where we're going. And uh, who can blame them? It's just, it's just really crazy right now. I'm concerned about the tech sector, and I want to talk about that in terms of the job market because uh, Microsoft announced a 1% reduction in forced, and they positioned this as, you know, it's fiscal year, we're rebalancing, but they have 180,000 employees, so 1% is 1,800 people who lost high-paying jobs, and a fair chunk of those in the Pacific Northwest and the Seattle market. So uh, the tech sector, you know, we are already seeing these rumblings in, I would say, tertiary or secondary uh, companies, startups that have taken on significant capital. You see it in the business journals are reducing their workforce. And then you see a Microsoft uh, make a move like this. It's very interesting, particularly for the West Coast markets where uh, tech is very heavy. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Well, what's going on here is we've had this chip shortage and this chip shortage was dramatic. And uh, we've seen now that we're going to be producing chips at an all time record level, but it'll take at least a year from now until it really impacts the economy. So tech companies are reacting to that because they're going to have they're going to they're a year out from getting back to any sort of normal access to the required chips to build products. Right. So. We'll see what happens, but I think it has more to do with the chip shortage and how long it's going to take to correct that than anything else. 
We've talked a lot about inventory and in terms of uh, factors influencing the market, this has been one that is a huge driver in the housing market. So we don't need to go into depth on what we've already talked about. But, you know, just eyeballing the markets. I watch Intermountain markets like Boise, Salt Lake City, uh, Denver, and just an eyeball on Zillow. There are a lot more listings now than there were uh, two or three months ago, obviously. And depending on the market, you know, maybe 50% here or 30% more there. It's good to see, right? Because it it trends us toward hopefully a, a normalization. But I need you to put this in perspective for us because, you know, what we see and we perceive as consumers, uh, like, wow, there's a lot more inventory. Is there really? No. <laughs> I know we, we're coming back closer to normal. Uh, we are actually, the, the interesting thing here is if you watch demand versus inventory, the relationship between demand and inventory uh, is still healthy and getting back closer to normal, if you will. Uh, we do not have an excess amount of homes on the market. The media drives me crazy because any change is a headline, right? And the, the fact that there are more homes on the market, the fact that the people are adjusting their prices more frequently, all these issues uh, create a, a news item for the media is really more of a trend back towards a normality, if you will. I am not concerned about it. I am not, I don't think anything has happened that's caused me to be concerned regarding inventory pricing or anything else around home buying. You know, the inventory thing too, to, to follow up on that, maybe I guess a bonus question. Uh, during the pandemic, so many people bought vacation homes, second homes. And then in the Boise market, I've seen quite a few homes that were purchased with the intent to move to and retire at a future date. I've got an empty house sitting right next to me here. Uh, So the question is, you know, when I see a a story come out, NAR reporting that uh, 28% of the homes purchased in Texas last year were purchased by institutional investors, 13% of the homes nationwide. Um, You remember that term shadow inventory from the Great Recession, where we were worried about that. You know what the question that's coming here is, is there shadow inventory out there that we don't have tabs on that could come back onto the market? I don't want to say in a flood, but, you know, the couple in California that says, eh, I don't know, maybe we should sell that home. Is that a concern? No, Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, you know, the there is a tremendous amount of investment dollars chasing opportunity and uh, buying homes and renting them is an opportunity. I, I'm doing it myself. Um, you know, it is a it is a good re- you get a good return on your investment. And so a lot of money has been chasing uh, single family homes for rentals. The concern here would be, is it a long-term investment strategy? Probably not. Um, will they come back on the market? Yes, I believe when when the market returns to normal and people, if rates come back down and people come buying, are buying again and people can get a return on their investment because prices are continuing to increase. Yeah, they'll come back on the market. I'm not worried about it at this point in time. And I don't think the investors who are doing it are in a situation where they need to sell. So uh, the vacation home, the surge in purchases of vacation home and second homes was really a byproduct of the tremendous drop in rates that we saw early in the pandemic. Uh, you know, hey, you got money and rates are down to, to they were down re- to a ridiculous level. I mean, you could buy under 3%. I mean, so 
hey, you know, you've always wanted a second home or a vacation home, you did it. Um, and that it's abated a lot because rates have gone back up. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not overly concerned about it. Okay, good to hear. We identified five factors influencing the housing market. And the fourth in our list is supply chain. And we haven't talked about this for a while. It's very interesting to see what's happening here. I talked to a developer in Sacramento just a few moments before we got on our Zoom. And, uh, you know, lumber futures are down 54% from March. We've got copper down almost 30% in that same period. And so I asked him, I said, well, gosh, it's good to see that, uh, you know, these these commodities are coming down. He said, yeah, well, that's great. It's like whack-a-mole because now glass is 30% higher and uh, electrical switches are 50 weeks out. So almost a year to get a switch box. And this is industrial, commercial, so big stuff. But uh, he said it's also the same in the residential market. What's happening with home builders right now in terms of these disruptions, interest rates? I mean, it's it's a tough time in you know in the real estate industry, but particularly the builders with what they're dealing with. One thing to keep in mind when we talk about home builders and uh, single family construction is that it, it from the time a builder decides to build a home until he can sell it uh, in, in the perfect market is 60 days. Right now it's probably 120 to 180 days or even longer because of certain supply chain issues or certain issues that are getting certain products. Um, and so you've got this prolonged, uh, the prolonged period of time you've got to think about. And given the uncertainty level, if I'm a builder, I'm saying, why do I want to take the risk? You know, why would I step out right now? Because who knows with the level of uncertainty we're experiencing with consumer sentiment being so low, the protracted pandemic, the Ukraine war, all these issues. I'm just going to sit and wait a little bit. Um, you know, when, when, all products are available uh, on an immediate basis and prices are a little bit more stable. You'll see a pickup in building because they're, they're I, I, you know, I'm sitting here, I had a conversation earlier this morning, a, a little planning session on investment and acquisitions and uh, not just for WFG, but um, some personal stuff uh, with a, my, my nephew. And we're talking about stuff and actually we are very, 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 uh, excited about where residential real estate will be in 2024 and 2025. That's assuming we do get an end to the Ukraine war within the next 12 months. That's assuming that inflation does abate, which I think it will. And I do think that demand will be phenomenal for single family. So I suspect that builders, once they have certitude about supplies and they can calculate accurately how long to get to market, and they feel like the uncertainty factor is going down, they'll step back in. You know, the other interesting thing that uh, this developer mentioned was the uh, the lending side of the equation, and lenders are being very careful, and I'm sure you can address this as well, particularly with the home builders. In fact, he said that they had uh, reduced LTV, loan-to-value, on their loans on commercial from 75 to 65. This is one bank that he didn't name, yeah. and that they had stopped lending to residential home builders, are you hearing that? Well, yeah, yeah, but that has more to do with the with the financial wherewithal of the home builders. And just for the record here, I think historic average is sixty percent, not yeah. seventy five or sixty five. Yeah. So we are still. I mean, you know, here, you know, we have a we have a an issue in the media, and that's called what is called recency bias. 
and all the focus goes on the most recent uh, piece of news. If you put historical perspective on it, uh, you know, 65% loan to value uh, is higher than the historic average for commercial. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not overly concerned about that. You know, I think uh, everybody is being a little cautious because of the level of uncertainty. Uh, and, you know, you really think about it. We just have never been in a pro protracted level of uncertainty like we have right now. And if you're a smart person, you're a little bit more conservative. You're a little bit more cautious because you don't know exactly what's going to happen or when. I do think the outlook is still positive. We are going to take six to nine months to see a meaningful drop in inflation, but I think it will happen. You know, get the Ukraine war past us and the pandemic behind us and, uh, you know, the demand is there and the capital both on uh, the capital and financial stability of both the consumer and american business is still pretty good so we'll see yeah to play off what you just said uh, you know the fifth uh, category or point that we had identified impacting the housing market is just that it's psychology and yeah. you know you talk about what you just said in a world of TikTok and twitter and sound bites and headlines right there is very little perspective or introspection uh, or thought because people are, you're, to your point, it's a great point thinking about what happened yesterday or, li or last week might even be ancient history. So with that in mind, you know, you've got the American consumer right now who was locked down for two years, I believe is now spending through the summer, right? Because of that, the travel obviously is maxed out. It is. This fall, I think we'll see a real, I don't want to say tap on the brakes, but a real slowdown in consumer spending, whether it's food, restaurants, retail, whatever it may be. So much of that, obviously, psychological, you're not only looking at your bank account, you're looking at the headlines and going, wait a minute, whether it's buying a home, a car, a bicycle, whatever it may be, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, but but I think you also need to uh, acknowledge the fact that it isn't the American consumer in whole. The top 60 percent is doing fine, uh, has had very little negative impact from the recession or the uncertainty on an economic basis. The bottom 40 percent of income earners are hurting and the bottom 20 is hurting badly. So. You will see, uh, I do think you will see the bulk of the American consumers able to participate in the economy in a meaningful way once they have some certitude about where things are going. I do continue to worry about the bottom 20%, even the bottom 40%, uh, and I worry about where we go with that. Uh, you know, and that's, uh, you know, that's just very, very unfortunate that we have such a, such a meaningful income inequality or disparity in the U.S. And I think we'll pay for it if we don't address it at some point. Bonus question for you. How happy are you, or maybe happy is not the word, how confident are you in leadership at the Federal Reserve? There was that great quote from Will Rogers during the Great Depression, something about, you know, it takes a depression to find out how little the big guys don't know or something like that. <laughs> you know, I look back uh, and, as you know, had a syndicated radio show in 2007, 8, 9 in the Portland market, uh, West Coast show, when Bernanke came out and talked about subprime and said, 
don't worry. This is just, you know, the people with bad credit. And I, I lit into him on my show. Uh, obviously, I saw how those subprime loans were being used, particularly by home builders, quite frankly. Uh, and, and you experienced this as well. I knew it was bigger than that. I didn't know how big it was, of course. Uh, so I frame that that way because here we are 12, 13 years later, and we're in another position where, you know, the chairman of the Federal Reserve and or Fed presidents tell us, hey, you know, we got this under control. It's just this. It's just that. And I don't know. How confident are you in that leadership? I'm pretty confident in it. And I think uh, it, it isn't even so much a matter of my confidence in the leadership is it that I do think the amount of variables that they confront are a lot less than they were during the Great Recession. Uh, we've had uh, 10, 12 years of very, very careful uh, credit risk and product risk by the lending community. So we don't have any financial or we have very little financial bubble out there. Um, you know, the the Fed uh, got a little bit of a black eye over using the term transitory, but that was because they thought the pandemic was going to be a single wave and it turned out to be multiple waves and who knows how many waves, right? So there's uncertainty there that they couldn't be expected to, to know and it's easy to criticize them in hindsight, but I, I, I think they're competent and I don't think there's as much risk as there was before the Great Recession because we don't have a house of cards financially. We are really in a fairly good situation financially. Um, you know, we do not have a lot of, uh, I mean, I don't see a lot of foreclosures coming. I don't see a lot of businesses failing. Uh, now, having said that, there are a lot of SPACs and uh, uh, financial startups, if you will, that will go by the wayside. But basically most of the, most of corporate America is in pretty good shape. So I have confidence that we'll get through this okay. Always good to hear. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, thank you. Take care. Thanks to WFG founder and executive chairman, Patrick Stone for joining us. And thank you for partnering with WFG. WFG.